Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Welcome to another Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. We've got John Manuel here. Pledging to stay for the whole time. (laughs) The uh, Baseball America College Podcast brought to you, like all of our college coverage, by Louisville Slugger, Power in Numbers. This week's Top 25, powered by Louisville Slugger, uh, has a new number one in it. We got Oregon State moving up to one, passing Louisville, which falls to number two after a two-and-two week. Their first two losses, they still won their weekend series against NC State, but Oregon State, they're 20-1. and They're on a 15-game winning streak, the longest winning streak in the country. So they move up to number one after sweeping Arizona, which had been a number uh, number nine, They've started Pac-12 play with sweeps of Arizona State and Arizona. It's the first time in like 20 years that's happened. Unreal. For like any team. Yeah. And not just Oregon State. The Beavers, they are rolling right now. Now, we had them as the Pac-12 favorite coming in, but after last year when they were a little shakier and they didn't make the NCAA tournament, there was a little little concern, maybe. Legitimate. But they have answered all of those questions. They're healthier this year, and they're playing really, really well. You know, Teddy, the things that stand out to me about uh, Oregon State is, first off, they had kind of the, all the injuries they had last year in their pitching staff, and really Rasmussen kind of carried things, and now Drew's been out with Tommy John surgery. He was their best starter. Was it last year that he threw the no-hitter early in the year, or was it the year before? Yeah, I think it was last year. I think it was last year. This guy, had, you know, so, they, so they're without their guy who, if he were healthy, you'd probably project as their Friday starter, and they've been better on the mound this year. 148 ERA looks like a typo. I mean, that's what they're doing so far this year. And K.J. Harrison, slow start last year. Not the case this year as a junior. Um, I know it's only two home runs, but we had one walk off this weekend. Yep. Um, he's been consistent in the middle. But to me, the separating factor for this team is, you know, it was just talented recruiting class, a freshman last year. And they've got some key freshmen this year. Again, Rushman behind the plate. I know he's not hitting a ton, but, but Rushman's been catching every day. Last year, their freshman class was such a big deal. And we expected a lot of big things out of them. But this year, the sophomore, freshman to sophomore jump has been most evident in Nick Madrigal. And for me, Teddy, I mean, like, it's, a, it's a decent junior season, uh, junior class, especially pitcher heavy. If you're picking one best college baseball player in the country, I think I might choose Nick Madrigal. I mean, the sophomore that he's really competing with, I would guess, is the, his total opposite. I know he's off to a slower start, but Seth Beer and Luke and Baker in the sophomore class are these power plants. You know, freshman of the year last year for Beer, Baker hitting in Omaha. Those to me are like the top, top three sophomore position players in the country, and they're totally the other two guys are so different from Nick Madrigal. But energy, contact, defense, speed, and he's got three home runs. I think Nick Madrigal for me, he might be the single best player in the country. And uh, that's saying something, I know, but scouts have been so high on this guy the last couple of years. And the X Factor, Elk, uh, what's, the, what's the school? Elk Grove. Elk Grove High School in Sacramento with all these prospects. He played with some great players in high school, and he was clearly ready for this college jump. But he's made the leap this year from a good freshman to a great player as a sophomore. He was a preseason All-American already. Yeah, he was, he's been really, really good, and he's already accepted a USA Baseball invite. Yeah. Baker's already accepted a USA Baseball invite. I assume Seth Beer will accept an invite to come back. So, you know, we're going to get to see those three guys 
go get after it on the collegiate national team this summer, I'm sure. And that's going to be fun. Another guy on that team for the Beavers that's taken a sophomore jump is Caden Grenier. Yep, absolutely. Who came in and was, you know, th- those two guys, it was like, what are they going to do at shortstop? And they had Trevor Morris in there last year, too. And, you know, they found a way to play all three of those guys. But Grenier, more than the other two, especially, really struggled last year. Yeah, could that take a back seat to these, to these other infielders? I mean, and, you know, when you're a freshman and you come in, it's hard. College baseball is hard, and but he's out there. He's hitting 299 now, and he's a really strong defender. Yep. He didn't have an exceptional cape, but he really has made a nice jump, and that's been a big part of, of them being good is guys like him and, and Larnich, uh, you know, supporting Madrigal and Harrison. That was the other guy I was going to say is that Larnich has made this this nice leap. Again, just the last couple of years has just been like, you know, as, freshman, as a freshman, K.J. Harrison was so good. He kind of did carry the offense in a lot of ways by himself. And last year when he did struggle, it was almost like the rest of the team just there wasn't a, a running mate there to kind of take some of the you know, some of the load off. I mean even the twenty fourteen team, if Conforto had a bad day, Dylan Davis could deliver you with a big home run. So it's just harder for one guy to have to carry the load. Uh, to me, and I've uh, uh, forgive me for getting mixed up on my on my Mike Lanana vines over the weekend. Um, but just going back through my timeline, you know, it's just so impressive that again on the mound is where I'm. I, I, we all these position players were guys out of high school. These guys were expected to be good. Nick Madrigal, much was expected of him. KJ Harrison, a, even Rush, Rushman, Grenier, um, a lot of was expected out of those guys. Uh, Christian Donahue, who was one of their better hitters last year, now junior has been uh, remains a productive player. Not a big draft prospect. He's what five seven, five eight, not as twitchy as Madrigal, but he's a good player. Um, but it's really been the surprise to me has been on the mound, Teddy. That's where I just did not expect, after all the injuries they had last year, that Oregon State would be as good as they've been. Um, but Heimlich, you know, Mike was tweeting about him. And Mike's in the air. That's the only reason he's on the podcast. He's flying back from Oregon. Um, you know, that, that Heimlich didn't have his best stuff. Thompson didn't have his best stuff, his crispest stuff. Those two guys were lights out this weekend. For, and that's against one of the best offenses in the country. You know, Arizona has been putting up crazy numbers coming into the weekend. You know, and Oregon State controlled that offense. They gave up some runs, yes. Uh, I think Oregon State's ERA, like, shot up half a run this weekend <laughs> right, right. by allowing something like 10 runs. But, you know, that Arizona can hit. That's what they do. But this Oregon State staff, they really pitched. And, you know, like, like Mike was saying, uh, you know, they maybe didn't have their best stuff, but they've got the ability to compete. And you got Max Engelbrecht there at the back of the bullpen. He's been very, he's been Johnny Reliable. I don't, he, know, I don't know how you say that in German, but he's been Johnny Reliable. <laughs> maybe that's what Engelbrecht means. Um, but he's, he's been outstanding. And the thing is, Teddy, they, they, they have a little two game cushion now in the Pac 12. And, uh, you know, they, they, obviously they've been just, you know, so hot. I mean, the rest of the league, Stanford's been kind of what we thought. I guess what I'm curious about is Arizona. What does this say to you about Arizona that they got swept? It seemed like Arizona didn't go quietly. Uh, that was scrappy. I guess our consensus on the call was that this says a lot more about Oregon State than it says about Arizona that Arizona was swept. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, the first two games were one-run games. They got walked off on. Um, what it does say to me is... Arizona has some things to work out in its bullpen. Mm-hmm. Cameron Maine at closer is really, really good, but and he's been good for them. He was good in Omaha, but um, you know, the way Arizona has to piece its pitching staff together. They've got to start 
and they've got to finish. Right. So they've got J.C. Cloney. He remains extremely consistent. I mean, I know he's 86, 87, but... It works. It works for him, man. That guy's really good and really competes. And Ming, like you said, competes. He's, he's, he's had, Those two guys have established roles. Filling in... I mean, last year they really didn't... Correct me if I'm wrong, Teddy. They really figure out what was going on in between last year until April anyway, right? No, and I don't think that Jay Johnson minds that approach. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's okay with mixing and matching. You know, Bobby Dahlbeck last year did a lot of relieving. He started some. Like, uh, you know, that was all over the place until the end of the year. And yeah, really, like, late April when he they said, okay, you're in the weekend. They started him on that Monday at BYU. Right. And then kind of settled him in as a starter after that. Yeah, so, I mean, there, there's a chance that they do something like that again. There are some arms there to work with, but they are going to have to figure that out a little bit here. Um, you know, they really haven't settled. I mean, like Rio Gomez has started every weekend, but outside of that, they're still searching for that third starter. Which I guess, I mean, you made a great analogy that Palmineri made to you. We were talking about North Carolina uh, on the call last night and how they are struggling with Sunday starters. You know, it's it's natural to struggle to find that back of the rotation, just like it is in the major leagues to find a back of the rotation answer. Yeah, like uh, Maneri at, at LSU has, they've been trying to find a third starter for years they seem to have finally settled on one this year with eric walker a freshman stepping into that role but he was telling me earlier that you know in in the big leagues your teams are always trying to find fourth and fifth starters right and you know so in college that's a third starter and it's not easy to find um you know we talk about one two punches all the time there are not many teams that have you know steady one two threes and Arizona now still trying to find kind of that second guy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really what they had last year uh, when they were, were going their best. Yeah, they had that one, too. It was Bannister and Cloney and Dahlbeck as a swing man wherever they that's wanted. It. And, you know, they need to find something to, to replace Bannister that's and Dahlbeck ba- still. That's a ba- Bannister and Cloney with, like, that one, two. And then they had, like, this this kind of X factor in Dahlbeck. And they, they've got, you know, they have Ming in the, bull, in the bullpen. You know that if they want to, they will extend him, you mm-hmm. know. Later in the year, he'll get some good naps in, and they'll they'll extend him. But find that that second that complement, that consistent complement to Cloney in their rotation. That seems like that's going to be the key going forward. Oregon is the other team out west. Obviously, I referenced them earlier, but they've made this. They seem like a little bit different animal, Teddy. Um, this is kind of what we always kind of thought Oregon would be under George Horton, which is this. Especially last year, they had all these big-time arms. We kind of kept expecting their arms to come around. They're really pitching very well now. They got blown out Sunday by Washington, couldn't finish off the sweep. But I think we thought coming into the year that UW could be a, was a super regional contender. I think we still think they could be that team. But a pretty young team, very youthful freshman and sophomore classes that really are the, the most talented guys on that UW roster. Whereas Oregon seems like you know there's some youth there as well, but I mean I think it's a little bit more experienced team, and it really does seem like their their pitching's made a leap this year. And I, you have to finger uh, Jason Dietrich, their new pitching coach, as a primary reason why they're better on the mound. I mean they're four and two now in the Pac-12, and that's a really nice start for them. You know they're kind of just on the outside of the top 25, and everyone is four and two in the like the yeah or, Oregon State is six and zero, oh, and then there are like four teams that are four and two and. Um, a lot of them could go either way at this point. Uh, Oregon, you know, is going to face bigger tests. They passed a big test this weekend, right? Um, but they're going to have to go on the road here uh, and, and play some difficult Pac-12 teams. UCLA's four and two. Um, you know, they're looking okay after losing the opening series against Arizona. They come back and 
get a sweep against Cal, who is not looking not good looking at good. all. But we kind of thought that Cal would take a step back this year. They are very young. We just thought that the step back for Cal would have been this year, not last year. The problem is they took a step back last year. I, I did injuries. not think that Cal's step back would include a 20 nothing loss at UCLA. That is just so startling. Um, but I, I want to talk to you about the Bruins. I'm glad you brought them up. That That's a youthful lineup. This is a team where, Teddy, it feels like if John Savage can coax UCLA to a regional bid this year, look out in 2018. Because I like the look. Now, I mean, Bouchard and Canning are these their two main draft guys. And I did want to talk to you a little bit about how Griffin Canning really does seem like um, he's taking this big step forward on the mound draft-wise. He's going to be a back of the first round, maybe early uh, kind of comp round selection, maybe even a little bit higher than that if he finishes strong. He's halfway through the season, 49 strikeouts in 39 two-thirds innings. Did you A, did you see that coming out of Griffin Canning? And B, which of these freshmen has impressed you the most out of the, the group of like the Creedlers, uh, Taglia, Idens? Uh, which of those guys have maybe uh, impressed you the most? Well, you're saying if um, he can coax them into a regional this year, look out for next year. I'd say look out for them in your regional this year. If, if UCLA gets in, you don't want to see Griffin Cannon in no. that first game. Good call. And then if Jake Bird gets healthy. Great call. You don't want to see him in the second game. Uh, you know, and Justin Hooper's been a lot better this year. I yeah. know he's still a work in progress, but it's it's going in the right direction. Um, so Griffin Cannon... I was. I'm not surprised. I may be surprised at how much the pro guys have jumped in on him. He is not the biggest guy. He's right. He's, he's very slight. He's like a six foot righty. He's like a you know, and it's like six foot one eighty, right? I mean, yeah. he's not a big guy. I mean, I saw him last year pitch against Dakota Hudson on Friday night out at UCLA, and Dakota Hudson looks like a first round right hander, and yeah. he was the last pick of the first round last year. Griffin Canning is not that kind of size. He's listed as six two one eighty, but I don't. I, I would be. I'm surprised that he's listed that tall. He really knows how to pitch, though. And right. He is the you know the the latest in a long line of guys at UCLA that really really know how to pitch. I mean, John Savage knows what he's doing in picking them and then in coaching them. And so Canning has been incredible for them this year. And you know he he really can be you know a top guy for them. You know he's one of the best pitchers in the Pac-12, especially um, you know with what he's doing this year. One and one, two seventy two. 49 strikeouts and 39 and two-thirds. I mean, he's he's out there pitching, and um, they don't need a ton of offense, but right. they do need to find some. I'm, I would, uh, I, I, I do think that I wonder if they'll be just uh, the, the team, if they'll be able to pick it up enough consistently and be consistent enough but um, to, to be a regional team this year. But Sean Bouchard's finally made that kind of jump. He was a very highly regarded player coming out. Five home runs. It's interesting to see that UCLA's actually hit for some power this year, but – I was all in on Jeremy Idens coming in uh, this year. I'm not sure if it's Idens or Widens. I don't want to hear the pronunciation key that's on their website right now. <laughs> I'm sure I could click it and hear it, but I don't want to, I don't want us to hear that on the podcast. Um, I'm impressed uh, that they're doing some. They're having some success without Stump having a big year. Um, he's got three home runs, but he hasn't hit 200. Um, that's I think that was the player they thought was the most ready to hit from day one. But Creedler and Toglia, those two guys are athletes. If they can get Toglia going, I mean, Toglia's hitting 218 right now. If they can get him going, I think that's the guy that really can be like a big all-around threat in that lineup for the next few years. And if they can get him going later this season, uh, I think that would be a a, a nice boost for their lineup. Of the one in five teams in the Pac-12, Utah, Arizona State, Cal, which one has the rosiest outlook going forward? The defending champion Utes, 
Cal or the Sun Devils? You know, I, I kind of want to say Utah here. You know, I like Jason Rose on Friday night. I, I like the rest of the rotation, too. And, um, you know, they've played probably the toughest schedule to this point of any yes. of them. They had to go to Utah and to Stanford for their first two series. That's pretty tough. And they've lost eight of their last nine, but a lot of those games were on the road. The one win was at Stanford Friday with Jason Rose. But, who, who, you know, that's, that's probably the separator between those three clubs, really, isn't it? Between them, Arizona State, and Cal. They do have that Friday guy who could stop a losing streak, and he kind of did that Friday night. For sure. I mean, he's a veteran guy that's pitched on Fridays before. You know, Cal's throwing Jared Horn out there on Fridays, and Jared Horn's going to be a great player for Cal, but he's also a freshman. And yeah. There's a difference between throwing a junior who, you know, has, has Friday night experience already and throwing a freshman. I'm looking on, I'm going to go back to I meant to say this on UCLA. I'll double te- back to UCLA for one quick second. Give these freshmen a year of playing this year and bring them into the 2018 season with Molnar back from Tommy John and Justin Hooper figuring things out. Whew, come on, man. <laughs> I mean, UCLA's talent in the sophomore and freshman classes is really, really good. This is an older Utah team, and this is they've got to get well fast, Teddy, because next weekend they're home to Oregon. Then at O-State, they do you know, have Cal after that, and then at or- Arizona – that is a tough road to hoe for the rest of April until they get to I do think the schedule's a little bit lighter in the second half with Wazoo, USC at home, Arizona State at home, and at UCLA. So it's the the first half schedule is tougher. You already said that it's already been tougher for Utah. It doesn't get any easier <laughs> the next three weeks. So Utah's gonna have to figure it out and play a little bit better. Um, which of the four and two teams do you think is the most fool's gold? Maybe Oregon, USC, Washington, or UCLA. Those are your four and two teams. They're one team that's been a little bit, not fluky, but that you have a little less faith in out of those four teams. I mean, I, I guess from those teams, it'd be USC. Um, three of them, I think, or at least two of them we projected as regional teams coming into this year. I know right. USC was not one of them. I don't remember if we put Oregon in a regional this year coming in or not, but I, I think they've done a little more than USC to this point. Yeah, USC having a well, big test for them next weekend going to Arizona. It's their first time traveling in uh, Pac-12 play. Well, th- this was a huge college baseball weekend, though, Teddy, because we were all fanned out around the country. Uh, Hudson Belinsky down in, Flo- in Gainesville to see LSU and Florida. We had Mike Lan out in, uh, in Oregon on the Oregon Trail at uh, Oregon and Oregon State. You and I with big series here locally, uh, you know, from a draft perspective. That's what, kind of where I wanted to steer it a little bit next because it was so huge from a draft standpoint. For that, I mean, it just seemed like everybody was down scout-wise in Gainesville to see Alex Lang and Alex Fado. We had a report up uh, by Hudson Belinsky, who was on the scene there. Um, let's talk about that series a little bit if we can, because pretty huge series win for Florida. You just saw them last week. They they uh, win the series at home against LSU, but get bombed on Sunday when they had a lead and give up that lead, so they had a chance for a sweep. But um, obviously encouraging signs for the Gators, but I guess – both teams have to feel pretty good about the fact that their aces both got right this weekend. I mean, how much of a sigh of relief do you think that both Kevin O'Sullivan and Paul Maneri breathed on Friday that Fado and Lane were good? I think it was probably a bigger one for LSU because Lane uh, had been shaky more than just the last week. Yeah. Uh, you know, Fado had been had had a, his worst start at Auburn, but he had mostly been pretty good throughout the the first month of the season. Whereas Lane, you know, had been hit around a few times already. So for those two guys to go show out, I mean, that was that was very big. Yes. That was very big for them, and it was very big for their teams. So that, that's the thing. Is like This is like one of those classic cases of um, 
you know, where being selfish baseball-wise as a player can actually be, if you put the team first in a selfish way, it kind of works out for everybody. And like for Alex Lang, he needed it, but his team needed it more. But they both they go hand in hand. Um, Alex Fado, I guess, sounds like he pitched a hair better, uh, Teddy. But um, I don't know if you saw Hudson's report on it, but to me, it sounds like. Fado finally had a little fastball, a little oomph to the fastball, not just velocity, but also command of the fastball. And he just has to have that to set up that that slider. Whereas with Lang, he has to have the fastball strike, but he also has to be able to throw the curve for a strike because if he doesn't throw the curveball for a strike, teams just eliminate that and sit on the fastball. Um, and you're, I mean, personally, I don't know which, which of those guys you think is going to be the better pro. Do you do you lean toward Fayeto or do you like prefer Lang? Which one do you lean toward there? I do lean toward Fayeto. Um, he's just so like he's so polished. Um, you know, you're you're right. He does have to command it, but he doesn't maybe have Logan Shore command. But he does pitch with above average command typically. When he's at his best, he's certainly doing that. Yeah. And that it sounds like that's what he was doing on Friday night. Um, you know, Lane is uh has been you know he's a little more streaky i feel like you know sometimes and that's fair sometimes he gets into like when he's in a groove he's almost unhittable because he's landing that curveball for strikes and nobody's hitting that i think to this point in their careers lang's best has been slightly better than faida's best but faida's been a little bit more consistent pitcher um alex lang of course as a freshman was just you know all world he was just so good um it's huge though for both those teams but I, I, I guess I also think that Sunday's win for LSU, I mean, that's... Well, I think that it's very big for LSU for both that Lane was good because then Poche was... Poche seems to be coming back to earth a little bit naturally. Is, and that, as I said, that's just... I mean, like, the fact that guy started off so well, I mean, like, just tip of the cap to Jerry Poche. What a... What a start to the year. So just a little humanity is allowed. We'll allow it, you know. But if he if he's not going to be the guy that's throwing you know fifteen hitless innings or whatever, um, then you, <laughs> you need you need your ace to to pitch at the at the before him, and then on Sunday to you know to pick those guys up and you know to to be able to get to the Florida bullpen, which is very young. Um, you know, an LSU's lineup able to take advantage of some of their um, you know mistakes and shortcomings at this point. That I, it was it was big all around um, for for them to to be able to to go out and get that last win. One thing you also pointed out, uh, LSU uh, pre- preseason was our pick in the SEC West, but the SEC West has not been what we thought it was. Right now, they are not a Dennis Green division. <laughs> you cannot crown them. LSU's at four, sitting there four and two, but Arkansas and Auburn both off the good starts at five and one. Uh, both of them ranked. Auburn obviously had the sweep of Florida. A little less convincing this weekend, but they did go on the road and beat Georgia, uh, a very big, struggling, struggling bigly Georgia team. Um, but Ole Miss has had its ups and downs, but really, I mean, to be expected, number one recruiting ha- class, very young team. We, I, we're trying to figure them out. They are the hardest team to figure out, but yeah. that's because they're freshmen that's for the right. most part. They're freshmen and sophomores, and this is what happens. But the, the, the West is, you know, Texas A&M, 1-5, Teddy. What's the, who are the real Aggies? Because I thought they showed some flashes earlier in the year. I mean, they beat Texas Tech 9 to nothing on, on a Friday night. Right. They got to Davis-Martin, Houston. Teams don't do that. But I, the, they have not started the SEC well. They got swept by Kentucky. Kentucky moving into the ranking this yes, week. Yes, that's after, to come for after sure. beating Ole Miss. Um, they get swept by Kentucky, and they get hit. Like, A&M is... Go, they have to pitch this year because yes. the lineup lost a lot from last year. Right. 
and you know there are talented hitters in the lineup, but it's a younger lineup. They need to pitch, and they've got the guys to pitch, but you know they've they've not really done that to this point. It, it, it's just surprising. I, I mean, that's just Rob Childress's bread and butter. He was a pitching coach before he became a head coach, so I just always expect his team to figure it out on the mound. So the fact they haven't done that to this point is a little troubling. Again, we're about halfway through the season. Um, and, the, and these are some veteran names. You know, these are some names that we know in Bingham Hill and these kind of guys who've, who have done it to some extent in SEC play. Do, do you think they can turn it around, or are you starting to get a little pessimistic? At what point, do you, I guess, do you start to worry about A&M long term? I mean... Because they, they got to go to LSU next weekend. Yeah, you want you want to feel good about their ability to turn around. It's a good staff. There's talent there for sure. They've done some things this year that would make you think that you know they can be a team that that can you know contend. But you know they also have to get it. Like you mentioned, some of these other teams having to get it turned around quick. They've got LSU followed by Auburn. Yeah. Um, you know we're gonna I. They can't really afford to lose their first four series in no, SEC play. That, that's what I'm saying. And uh, I think it's going to be real challenging for them. Meanwhile, uh, the teams are at the top of that. Uh, Arkansas, you know, I texted with some scouts earlier in the year about Arkansas. And this is really more of a good team. But it does seem like the pitching staff has taken a step forward there this year. And it might just be a new uh, voice in their ear I'm not bagging on Dave Jorn in any way, shape, or form. Dave Jorn did tremendous work for a long time in Arkansas. I wasn't always a fan of how quickly they brought guys back on short rest and this and that and the other, but Dave Jorn did a lot of Arkansas pitchers in the big leagues. Mike Bolsinger, uh, guys who weren't high drafts. Cody Anderson's an Arkansas guy, right? Juco transfer. Obviously, before him, you had Cliff Lee. Uh, Dave Jorn did a really good job there. But Wes Johnson, as a new pitching coach, after Dallas Baptist to one year at Mississippi State, didn't seem to work out at Mississippi State. Stays in the SEC, goes to Arkansas. They've been just flat out better on the mound, uh, Teddy. They, and this weekend, they kind of gritted one out on a Sunday, one of these Sunday 50-50 games at Missouri. But to go on the road and win a league series is always big. Uh, they've got now, And so their first two, I think, of the schedule kind of did them some favors. They go on the road at Missouri, at Alabama, that's not the same as going on the road to LSU or going on the road in some of these SEC East powers. It feels like Arkansas's start is sustainable to me because they're pretty good on the mound, and they've really figured out, I think, uh, and the schedule is uh, favorable for them. Yeah, I mean, they've, uh, they've been impressive to this point this year. They only have the one losing weekend. It was uh, in Frisco, and you know, they lost to a couple of pretty good teams in, in Arizona and Oklahoma State and Nebraska right. out there. Like, that was a good tournament. Um, and it was a good test for them. I, I think they, that was that was probably pretty helpful for them to go out there and do that because, for the most part, they've just been at bomb, uh, which is pretty typical. That, that's what Arkansas does. That's right. That's what they did. Um, but you know, th- this weekend, stopping what had been a red-hot Missouri team, I mean, they hadn't lost since opening day, and Arkansas goes in and, and wins 9-2 to on Friday in a game that was really messy. Like, the, there was a two-hour rain delay in the middle of it. Oof. Um you know, so they, they go out and take it to Missouri, a team that you know had been winning games and, and had been in a lot of tight games, and they were finally able to to be the one that, that gets to that staff, and they beat Tanner Houck. I mean, right. it was a, 
I, I think it was great start to the, the weekend series. Absolutely, and, and you know they they did lose Saturday, but they're able to, to come back and, and, and finish the series on the road, which is what you want to do. The scout that I talked to about them liked Blaine Knight as a competitive you know weekend starter. He's been outstanding, eighteen to one strikeout the walk in SEC play, and they've shifted Tacalini into like this kind of moment of truth, kind of long relief, short relief. He's got a couple of saves in league play. Um, I, I that, that it's been impressive to me what Arkansas has been able to do uh, to start the year, and they're, and they're physical. With, they're do, also doing it without a couple of key arms on the mound. Keen McKinney right. is out. Right. Uh, Isaiah Campbell, who could be a first rounder next year, is out. Right. Um, you know, so they're they're missing some guys, but they're they're still rolling along. And one of the guys I talked to was like, "Look, they really don't have a position players. They don't really have like big time pro guys, but Carson Shaddy, Luke Bonfield, these guys are are big physical guys. Even the freshman Dominic Fletcher." He's totally different from his older brother. Uh, what was his first name? He played at uh, Loyola Marymount. Brian Fletcher, I guess, the middle infielder, yeah. now with the Angels. Um, I'll look at my prospect handbook because he's with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim now. And his name, yeah, it's uh, David Fletcher. David Fletcher. But Dominic's a completely different player from David. Physical, left field projection kind of guy. They've got some real power on this Arkansas team. So, um, you know, I-, I think they have some staying power. Do you think Auburn has staying power, having seen them in person? If uh, Auburn gets good news uh, on as far as Keegan Thompson's health, yes. Yeah, uh, exactly. If, if they can keep rolling, Keegan Thompson, Casey Mize, and Davis Daniel, who had a really nice start on Sunday, if they can keep rolling those guys out there, I think they can. Uh, I don't think that they have depth on the mound yet to sustain an injury to their to their ace and, and keep rolling to the way they have been. Um, you know, they're that staff is still, you know, working to, to build a team there. Yeah, it's more star power or t- top-heavy. Depth is not necessarily their forte on the mound. Right, right. And that'll come in time. But for now, I, I think they can as long as they stay healthy. I mean, when you roll Keegan Thompson and Casey Mize out there, I mean, that, that's a really strong one-two punch. That'll do. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, Teddy, the other, the other story in the SEC is really, and you know, we touched on Missouri a little bit. They lost their first series of the year this weekend, but... Kentucky, get out of town. Bad weekend for Big Blue Nation on the on the court. Great weekend for Big Blue Nation in baseball. They're eighteen and seven overall. And I guess what stands out, Teddy, is that they've done this against a great schedule. After losing their first four games, after getting swept at, at North Carolina, um, sweeping at A and M and winning two out of three against Ole Miss. After losing the Thursday night showcase, um, what's what's Kentucky done so well under first year head coach Nick Mangione? Well. When I talked to Coach Mangione, you know, he wanted to, to talk about how good the pitching had been, which it definitely has been. Those guys, I mean, they, they had to replace their entire rotation. They had some, like, premier draft guys in there last year. And, um, you know, now they've got a different set in there, different coaching staff, obviously, as well. And these guys are they're, they're pitching very well. They're closer. Um, oh, man, Totally blanking on, on the kids' <laughs> That's name. okay. Uh, but they... Logan Sallow. Yeah, Logan Sallow, a senior. Those are crazy numbers. It's a, it's really insane what he's doing. He has he has yet to give up an earned run this year, yet he has two losses. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, he's he been lights out for them uh, at, at the back end. But they're also hitting. I mean, they, they lead the SEC in, in a lot of offensive categories. Um, and... and they're hitting 326 as a team, which leads the SEC. They've scored 201 runs. That's crazy. Which leads the SEC in 25 games. They've got um, a 430 on base. Again, and, leads the SEC. And I, I just love just looking at their numbers. 37 steals. The opponents have four. I mean, I mean, so 
They're not the I mean, 37 out of 50, the quick math, 74%. You could, you could stand to be a little bit more efficient that way, but they're, they're very aggressive offensively, Teddy. They're bunting, they're stealing bases, they're hitting and running. I watched some of that game Thursday. There's, it's just an aggressiveness. It's just a, it's a completely different attitude. I guess it starts with the coaching staff. I mean, they, they really are not a – I always used to think of them as a pitching defense three-run homer club. That's not who they are anymore. No, it's a very high-energy staff, and, I mean, that's who Nick Mangione is. And, um, you know, it, it's just a very different look than what Gary Henderson had. And, you know, Gary Henderson did some really good work at Kentucky. Absolutely. Um, and he's doing good work now at Mississippi State as the pitching coach, being with a new staff, figuring that figuring it out down there under a – New first-year head coach, Andy Canizaro. But Nick is 38 years old, and you know, he, with that comes yes. a lot of energy. And I think the team has really responded to that. He said that they have really adopted a, a, a true family atmosphere down there. He's got young kids. Uh, pitching coach Jim Belanger has, has young kids, and, and those guys are around a lot. And the, the players enjoy that, he said. And um, you know, they, they've just really been able to play for each other, which helped them get through that slow start when they lost four games by a total of five runs. I'm glad you mentioned Jimmy Belanger. This is a rising star in college baseball coaching. This is a guy who was the pitching coach at Monmouth when they produced Brad Brack and Pat Light. So Monmouth has two big league pitchers. This guy helped do that. He didn't do it all. Players did it all. Uh, there are other coaches who were there too. Um, but that's where I first talked to him was Pat Light and comparing him to Brad Brack. And I was like, Kind of chuckling to myself, you got Brad Brack. You know, <laughs> I mean, first of all, Brad Brack. It's fun to say. Second of all, like he was going to be anything. And Brad Brack's been a good big leaguer now for a couple of years, better than Pat Light. But then Jimmy Belanger goes to uh, Maryland. Mike Schwarren, the success that Maryland had. It wasn't just Schwarren. It wasn't just the Unicorn. But they, you know, uh, Jake Sinnett, I'm pretty sure that Jimmy yep. Belanger was involved with Jake Sinnett. So the fact that he's gone to Kentucky and he's having success like that, Really doesn't surprise me at all. So I'm 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 into Jimmy Belanger. I, I'm a I just think that's a, a successful program. So um, I think what Kentucky has is sustainable. Another part of Kentucky watching them go forward, uh, the the whole SEC East is really really uh, you know going to be very competitive. South Carolina loses Friday against Alabama. They get back and win the last two games of the series. I guess tell you that the, the surprising thing there is. I guess it's not surprising that South Carolina won when Will Crow and Clark Schmidt started. The surprising part is that they started on Saturday and Sunday. They pushed Clark Schmidt back to come back from his health, uh, from his uh, week off that he missed with a slight injury. But South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri at the top of this. You have to go to 4-5, and Teddy, to find Vanderbilt and Florida. And aside from South Carolina, usually the top of the SEC East is South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Florida in some some form or fashion. And... uh, Lately, unfortunately, Georgia and Tennessee usually at the bottom. They are back at the bottom. Um, but Vanderbilt and Florida combined five and seven. They both won series this weekend. They both had a chance to sweep that series. Uh, Teddy, which, which kind of your, which, which of those teams do you like better going forward? I, mean, I, I guess going into the year, you still like you like Florida better. You probably still do. But what does Vanderbilt have to do maybe to kind of right its ship? Because it seems like they just haven't quite. Um, especially Kyle Wright hasn't been the star that we thought he would be. Jaron Kendall certainly is heated up. I think he hit two, he's got seven home runs. He hit the home runs in two out of the three games this weekend. Um, but this is still a team that seems like it's still feeling its way, uh, even after winning the series against AM. Yeah, getting uh, Jaron Kendall going this weekend was big for them, big for that offense. Obviously, he is their best offensive player, and he's got to play like it. Yeah. Uh, and they need Kyle Wright to pitch like their best pitcher. 
he's been good. It just hasn't quite translated to results yet. Um, I mean, you figure that it will, but to this point, that's been shaky, as as we've alluded to several times um, here. But when you look at what Vanderbilt has coming up here, I mean, they got Kentucky this weekend, followed by South Carolina. Those are both on the road. And then Florida comes to Nashville in a couple weeks. They really need to get this going. Yeah. Um, they need what happened against AM to continue to go because these next three weeks are going to be very, very difficult weeks. The schedule eases up after that. They go at Georgia, Tennessee, and Missouri for the three weeks following that, right. then Arkansas and Alabama. So the second half of this SEC slate is much easier for Vanderbilt. At least that's the way it appears right now. No question. Um, but if they, they can't afford to dig themselves a big hole, like especially if they're still trying to host a regional. Right. It almost reminds me a little bit like their 2012 team came on gangbusters at the end of the year, had a little bit of a rougher start, so they wound up having to go on the road for their regional and that was a bit that really affected them. Uh, they couldn't win that that on the road, but um, you just the Julian Infantes had a really big year. Kind of, you know, was expected to kind of be the first baseman last year. And I guess he played some he's of the year, up. but he had a wrist problem. Yeah. Um, he seems like he's healthy this year because he's swinging the bat really well. But it feels like offensively they're not a tremendously deep offense right now. They're a little top heavy there, and I'm surprised that Kyle Wright hasn't been better i mean I, for lack of a better way to put it just to be simple about it uh the scouts i've talked to he seems like he's kind of fallen behind uh fido and lang and those guys i think kind of thought that maybe kyle wright would go out ahead of those guys he still could he's got the cleanest arm of those three and he's the most conventional but he and tanner Houck have not taken that step forward and lang and, and fido really did this past weekend small sample size but they, they, but they were able to this past weekend uh, Teddy, you and I were around here for the two best pitchers in college baseball right now, are Brendan McKay and J.B. Bukowskis for the 2017 draft. And performance-wise, I guess J.B. Bukowskis has been the best pitcher in college baseball, period, full stop this year. Has anybody been better? Well, because McKay gave up three runs this weekend and his ERA like tripled as a result, I guess uh, J.B.'s numbers are now uh, now just uh, better than McKay's. And that's, that, that's really, it was like a two-man race. It's amazing when you go seven innings, give up one run, and you're not, and your ERA just tanks, you know, for for for. Uh, well, McKay. McKay, so McKay goes. He strikes out fourteen. He gives up three runs. It was a quality start. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was by far the worst start of his season. Well, McKay actually still leads the country in strikeouts per nine at fifteen point four seven, and Bukowskis ranks seventh at thirteen point five. It's easier to look up on the NCA because Bukowskis' name is Bukowskis. <laughs> Not very many Bukowskis. There are quite a few more McKays. Um, if you had to pick one guy to win one game right now, who would you pick, McKay or Bukowskis? Just on the mound, can't give you credit oh, for I, I, we, we don't get We don't get McKay in the lineup. I still think I'd probably go with McKay. Um, he's pitched in a regional and a super regional, right. and uh, Bukowskis is not. I, I, you mean I skipped my senior year of high school and not go to regionals for two years? I mean, that, that's like my first question for JB when I sit down with him. I'm probably going to do that in the next couple of weeks. Like, have you ever thought, like, you sat there for two years and, and you skipped a year of high school, you didn't go to prom, all these kind of things, just for this? You know, I mean, probably not what he was expecting. So things haven't worked out the way he probably thought. But. I mean, things haven't quite worked out for McKay either. I mean, he didn't skip anything for it. But, you know, that's a team that you thought the last two years would have been in Omaha. You know, they're Absolutely. hosting Super Regionals. And uh, to, to 
have the heartbreaking losses they had in, in back-to-back years against Fullerton and then UCSB last year. I mean, that, that's a guy that, um, you know, it, he, the whole team is hungry to get to Omaha, and you've got to figure that, that McKay really wants to finish this season in Omaha. No question. And that's a team where um, they lose Friday, and I thought that they showed a lot of grit this weekend because they have a 6-3 lead on Saturday against NC State and blow it with a 3-run homer by Joe Denand. Seven home runs, no doubles. Longtime listeners of the Baseball America College podcast will recall that I hate players from a statistical standpoint. It's not personal because Joe Denan. I like Joe Denan. He's a good player. He's got a very difficult to be A-Rod's nephew. That's, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. That's just hard. You know, and through no control of his own. Um, that guy he came up at a huge moment, but seven home runs and no doubles tells me that he's swinging for home runs. He's swinging for the fences a lot, and that's why he's hitting 218. Um, but for Louisville to give up that three-run homer on Saturday and come back the very next inning and win the game, that was – they did not fall apart. Emotional college baseball players often do. They didn't, and they came back and they boat raised NC State on Sunday with an 8-1 win. Drew Ellis is just putting up ridiculous numbers. I, I tried to talk to a few scouts about him and where he might go. The fact that he plays first base, left field, third base, he's not very good at third He's probably made two errors on Sunday in his one day at third base. Probably not. He's probably more of a left fielder or first baseman pro-wise. College-wise, I mean, that guy kind of worked his way into the lineup the second half of the year last year. That guy could hit. He's even played some second base for them. I think there was one game already this year where he played four positions in one game. I believe um, it. And People love that about Louisville's program. Yeah, he's uh, he's very intriguing. I, I like him a lot. He he showed he shows power. I mean, that whole lineup really yeah. shows power. Absolutely. Um, you know, Devin Harrison maybe maybe not quite so much, but he does everything else that you want. You know, he's an incredible. Sh- uh, defensive shortstop. He's really productive. He's just a productive player on both sides of the ball. Absolutely. He, I mean, he's he's an efficient defender at shortstop. Uh, but the thing I like most about Devin Harrison is that freshman year for him, he was an out, and he and Sutton Whiting struggled in the middle of the, of the field defensively. And that was a big reason why Louisville didn't go to Omaha that year. But he had a concussion that year. I mean, he's fought through all those issues. He's such a steady defender. He competes. He competes defensively, offensively. He's just he's a fun player to watch. And he, their whole team usually plays with energy. Um, but you know, Lyman's made a, a jump for them this year too. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Was a Lyman a guy that like they would start last year and then they'd replace him, they'd pinch hit for him, or he'd be a defensive replacement. Right. Now he's like hitting yes. the top half of the lineup. Yes. I mean, this is what happens at Louisville, basically. Player development. Player development, and also you know, guys have to wait their turn. Um, they, they're sitting with Tyler Fitzgerald, who's a top 200 player in the BA 500 last year. They're trying their best to get Tyler Fitzgerald into the lineup because that's the shortstop of the future. And he's a future superstar, but he does, he can't start every game because they have to find a, a way to get all these guys in the lineup. And, you know, Brennan McKay, sometimes he DHs, but he plays first base too. And, if he's playing first base, well, maybe Colby Fitch is DHing and Jurelis is at third base, and suddenly Tyler Fitzgerald's on the bench. And I know. This is, this is just what happens. Some of these guys can't play. They What Florida did with pitching, uh, you know, Louisville has really seemingly done with, with the, with, in terms of their lineup. They just are able to replace guys like Corey Ray and Nick Solak. I mean, these aren't easy guys to replace. Will Smith. Will Smith I, they're, they're just plugging, plugging in new guys. And, and, you know, Devin Mann is their starting second baseman. Last year, you know, he filled in when Solak was hurt, and then he went right back to the bench, and now he's, you know, an integral part of the lineup. I mean, that, that's what Louisville does. It's player development. 
and it's guys willing to wait their turn yep. and learn when they have the opportunity, taking advantage of the opportunities, but understanding that you know there are other talented players here. Sadly for me, when I hear you say Devin Mann's name, I think of, I got a man. What's your man got to do with me? And that's just terrible. That song is so bad. But that song is in my head when you say, when, I, when I've seen Devin Mann's name and uh, saw him play for them last year, and, and I can't get past that. He's got some pretty good flow, too. Does he have good flow? That, good that flow. team seems like they had some, I, I don't know if anyone has the flow Nick Quintana's got at Arizona. That's ridiculous flow. That home run, so the, the video of him hitting a home run at Oregon State right after an Oregon State fan yells, don't they have any barbers in Arizona, is just, it's, it's perfect. It's priceless. It's like the best video of the year in college baseball. Um the Atlantic Division versus the Coastal Division, Teddy, kind of like the SEC East and the West. The Coastal's got North Carolina with a two-game lead. They haven't swept the team yet, but two-game lead on Virginia, Pitt, Duke, and Miami. I think we still believe in Virginia. They're 19-6 and overall. They've had some issues. I mean, like they gave up 19 runs Friday to Duke. The 26-hit effort from the Blue Devils was, on a Friday night was surprising. That was just stunning. But the, the balance of powers in the SEC seems like it's in, all in the Atlantic, which makes it difficult for NC State. NC State's 4-5 and five in the league, 13-12 and 12 overall. They were preseason number, what, 17 for us? 15? 14. 14. Louisville, Clemson, Florida State, Wake Forest off to a good start. NC State's already lost a series at Wake Forest. You saw State all three times this weekend, right? They have Sean Adler, who's become a consistent starter for them. He's a five- or six-inning guy, but he's been consistent for them. He's a weekend starter for sure as a senior left-hander. I don't know if he's an ideal Friday guy, but he's what they have. It worked on Friday night. Right. Joe Donald, really good. He's not throwing as hard as he used to, but spots the breaking ball, competes his butt off, commands it. That was a nice piggyback on Friday night. That's probably not like ideal for them, but that was a nice piggyback, and it worked, and they got a win. But the rest of the weekend, NC State's – kind of a cluster on the mound still, and we're halfway through basically the season, just about they haven't figured out their pitching yet. They have not. Brian Brown started on Saturday. It wasn't great. He has to be really fine with his command. That's just who he is, and he wasn't, and that Louisville is the wrong team to not be commanding the baseball against. Yes. Because they will wait you out, and they will draw their walks, and then when you make a mistake in the zone, they will bane it. I know how. I know Tommy DeJunis, the numbers look pretty good for him Sunday. Did he show signs of being a, a productive member of NC State's pitching staff? Yeah, I think when he when he came in, that that's kind of stabilized some things. Um, you know, he definitely pitched well. Uh, he they need him to be good, that's for sure. Um, yes, they do. They could use Dalton Feeney, you know, their their nice freshman to get going. Um, they didn't even use him this weekend. They did not use him. They didn't use Gautier this weekend. Uh, either of the the freshmen uh, there. Um, that was a little stunning to me. The uh, you know, they, they brought Wilder out on Sunday to start, and it looked okay for like an inning and a half. Um, but you know that at this point, it's hard to count on Corey Wilder even for five innings. Correct. Um, I don't think he got out of the first in his the last time they started him against in a midweek against George Mason. So they're they're you know another team that really needs to piece their their pitching together and. It was tough for them when Brown went out so early on Saturday and then to lose that game. If they could have come back and won that game in extra innings, that would have been huge because they, at that point, had exhausted. They, they went through a lot of arms Yeah, they on used Saturday. eight guys on Saturday. Yeah, and you know, when you do that, that means that you don't have that many on Sunday when you really need them to back up Corey Wilder, um, and, and it showed. 
It showed, and uh, they got you know, Dejunas did eat, eat up some innings for them. That was that was crucial. Um, we don't have Mike Lanana here to defend Wake Forest's honor, but real quick, Wake Forest six and three start. I think Mike and I are a little bit more sanguine on their on their future than you are. Um, in the rankings regional? for the first time in a decade. That I, that I did not know. Do you think, they, now do you think they're a regional team, or are they going to still be on the precipice for you like they kind of were last year? They're on, that, they're on that bubble virtually the whole year. You know, I think they probably are a regional team, but I also think they're at the back end of the ACC contenders. We're ranking six ACC teams right now, and I don't know. how There are not going to be ten ACC teams in the tournament this year. Going into the weekend, they were, that was, they were fourth in conference RPI. I don't know that they actually get better than that. They yeah. have some anchors this year where they didn't have last year. Boston College, Pitt, Notre yes. Dame, Virginia Tech. These are going to weigh down ACC teams' RPIs, whereas last year the ACC teams all fed each other's RPIs and they all got crazy high where, it, where you get North Carolina with a top 20 RPI being left out. That's not, it's not going to be like that this year in the ACC. I think you're right about that. And let's, let's just, uh, but while Wake Forest celebrates being in the rankings, let's acknowledge that they go on the road for three of their, four, three of their next four ACC series, including my, at Miami, at Louisville, and at Clemson. Their first three ACC series have been against State, Duke, uh, Duke and then uh, this weekend Georgia Tech. Two of those were at home, and Duke was the road trip. So they really haven't had to go very far on the road. I mean, right. that's, a, that's a nice, easy hour-and-a-half drive from the – to the DBAP for them. And when they did go on the road earlier in the year, when they went to Houston, they went 1-3 in that tournament. So they've got to show they can win away from home, uh, away from, you know, when they're not just off the bus, when they fly somewhere. So that's going to be, I, I, you know, I think it's going to be a challenge to see if Wake Forest can do that. I think their pitching is improved. Uh, right now, the number one conference, Teddy, which should wrap this up pretty soon, but right now the number one conference is the Big 12. And that seems like that's some cannibalization that's kind of gone on there a little bit too. Um, but you have two top five teams in TCU and Texas Tech. That's, I guess, the number one reason. In your mind, what's the biggest story in the in the Big Twelve? Has it been Oklahoma and the start they've gotten off to this year? I think it's. Or just for, first schedule. of all, I think it, first of all, I think it's the number one RPI to this point. I yeah. think that is very impressive for a conference that in back to back years only got three teams into the NCAA tournament. That Last year, all three of them did go year. to Omaha. But yeah, this year. Um, you know, they got five, five is the high water mark since they lost uh, Nebraska, AM, Missouri, that crowd. Um, and they, they can do that again this year, maybe even six. But w- when you look at the Big 12, I think the turnarounds from Oklahoma and Baylor both are, have been very impressive. Now, Baylor has lost their first two Big 12 series, maybe coming back to earth a little bit after starting the year 14 and 1. Right. But. Oklahoma goes out. They win their first Big 12 series this weekend on the road at Baylor. That was that was a very interesting series to watch. That as these two teams that that had been down last year both missed the tournament. You know, and they're trying to work back. It, it's Oklahoma's schedule has been light, but they do have a serious win against Long Beach State. As weird as that was in opening weekend, they won right. two games, and now they have a serious win at Baylor. That, who has not been losing at home. Right. They've been playing very well. I know they've lost two series in a row, like you said. But, I mean, I would rather have gotten Baylor later than sooner. You know? and yeah. They, the Sooners got them sooner, and they still won the series. And it sets up a very big series for Oklahoma this weekend with Texas Tech coming to Norman. We're, that is huge for Oklahoma. Texas Tech is rolling. They are as hot as almost as pretty much anyone but Oregon State. Yeah, that's a weekend preview kind of lead series. And I can't wait for two weeks from now when Texas takes on Oklahoma. Um, you know, it's it's at it's in Austin and Skip Johnson 
pitching coach now at Oklahoma revisits his old stomping grounds in Texas. That's going to be really interesting for me to see. And I, I, the other guy, I mean, I just, I'm just so fascinated, mostly because I share an office with J.J. Cooper. He's at the corridor of power right there, the door between our two offices. Briley Ware keeps doing it. He's hitting, two, he's hitting 373. He's got five extra base hits. But this dude has been a little shot in the arm to their offense. He is a bad body, no position, not a prospect dude, but he hit like 600 in, in the, at Neosho Junior College. Now that guy's hitting 370. he He's been a nice little shot in the arm to Oklahoma's offense. Um, I'm fascinated by Oklahoma because they have had this, this random road trip through Georgia, you know, lost to, lost to Georgia Tech, which hasn't played very well. Series at Kennesaw. They go to SEC play, I mean, Big 12 play, and they start off, you know, with a, with a series win. Um, that's a team to watch. Now, I'm, I'm fascinated by Texas, Teddy. Uh, Texas off to a 17-10 start under David Pierce. Uh, what, what have you seen out of the Longhorns to this point so far? You know, they've been a little up and down. They uh, obviously really struggled. Uh, well, not really struggled. They, they got they ran into the, the buzzsaw that is Texas Tech two weekends ago. Right. Um, got swept there. Swept, yeah. Was it Kansas or K-State this weekend they swept? Uh, I think it was Kansas. No, I think it was K-State. K-State. And, um, you know, they lost that series at Stanford. They split against Rice. They've been a little up and down. But, you know, I, I think, first of all, that's a little bit to be expected. They're, they're still figuring some things out there. Uh, and they're still set up to be a pitching and defense team. Yeah. David Pierce, I'm sure, wants to become a little more offensive, play at least play a different offensive style than Augie played. Uh, but they have what they have right now. I mean, you don't, you don't think David <laughs> Pierce will ever say, I'd bump Babe, Babe Ruth in this situation? That was the – Jim Morris gave me that story. I'll tell that story. And I want him to do it in my Jim Morris voice, even though I'm very tempted to. But that one year, like 30 years ago – Jim Morris was the head coach for some USA team, and Augie was his assistant, if you can imagine this. this be a How good about way that staff? To, this be a good way to get into our kind of Mount Rushmore question that you hinted at earlier, and a good way to finish. Uh, so so <laughs> Jim Morris says, I forget who the hitter was, but it was, it was a guy who went out on the big leagues, and they had first and second in a tie game and extra innings against Cuba. They were trying to beat Cuba, and Jim Morris is like, he calls a timeout and basically goes, talks to his hitter, and he comes back and they said, are you going to have him butt? And he goes, no, I'm not. And he looks back at Augie and says, would you? And Augie says, sir, I would bunt MF and Babe Ruth right now. And, of course, the hitter hits into a double play and ends the inning, and Jim Morris looks back at Augie, and Augie's like already going to the other end of the dugout like, <laughs> that's Augie's I told you so. So, um, so they, anybody who takes over would probably bunt less than Augie Garrido. They still have 18 sacrifices in 27 games. I mean, they're still winning games with, like, with, like you said, with pitching and defense. But this weekend, back-to-back shutouts against Kansas State. They, in the two games they lost, Texas Tech, the first two they lost, they gave up. They lost two, won both those games. The freshman from Vegas, Nolan King, has been pitching really well. Uh, Morgan Cooper has draft helium. He's going to go get in the draft. He's kind of like Texas version of Griffin Canning. You know, not super uh, power-armed, but... Um, you know, is going to go pretty good in the draft. And he's a lot bigger than Griffin Canning at 6'4", but he does not, um, you know, oh, he's not thought of as an overpowering guy, but he had a, a two-hit shutout this weekend against Kansas State with 11 strikeouts. So I'm really intrigued by Texas. I'm probably a little biased because I do actually have a Longhorn network for some <laughs> unknown reason, and I see their games. Um, but, I, I, you know, that league does seem deeper, Teddy. When they I do talk have to, some powers at the top. When I talked to Schloss... Last weekend, Jim Schlossnagel, or last week, Jim Schlossnagel said that 
every team in the Big 12 is better, top to bottom. They are all better this year. And what they're that it's showing right now. I think he's right, and it's showing. And, and they've won non-conference games. Their RPIs are showing it, and that's going to help them, you know, feed off each other later. I mean, that, that's that's how you build RPIs: is you win non-conference games, and then you feed off each other. Yeah. And uh, it helps when you win good non-conference games, and that's what most of them have gone out and done. Teddy, one of the, the good way to wrap up is we talked about the two. One of those coaches and two of those picks we just talked about in that story are. Potential guys for your college baseball coaching Mount Rushmore. And for me, there's three easy consensus guys for college baseball Mount Rushmore. Rod Dato, USC, 10 national championships. Hard to argue. Uh, 11, <laughs> 11, by the way, some people count it. I think he's on there for sure. Just put Tony the Tiger up. Just put Tiger up there since he called everybody Tiger. Uh, Skip Bourbon, I think unassailable, going to be on there. Six national championships. I mean, five national championships at LSU. Bill LSU. Was assistant in Miami when they built Miami. Augie Garrido, you got to be on there. He's probably just giving the bunt sign to somebody. But Augie's on that uh, two national championships at Texas, three at Fullerton. I mean, you just can't get better than that. All-time wins leader. All-time wins leader, 1,900 wins. Great for making speeches. So your fourth guy, I've had this debate with Mike Rooney, who does ESPN games. I've debated this over the years with Jim Callis. I think you can make the case for Ron Frazier if you want to go old school at, at Miami. I, I think these Mount Rushmore lists tend to go too old school in general, so I would want to bring someone fresher into the discussion. I think you can make a case if you want to go old school for Jerry Kendall at Arizona. They won three national titles, 76, 80, 86, produced a bunch of big leaguers, and he did it in the meat of when Arizona State and UCLA and USC were still dominant. In the six-pack, where USC won 70-74, they win in 76. USC wins again in 78, so USC still legit. 81, Arizona State, their last championship. Arizona's won since then, 86. Plus, you throw in that Jerry Kendall won a national championship as a player at Minnesota. And I think he was a coach on another Minnesota team as an assistant coach under Dick Siebert that went there. He hit for the cycle as a player in Omaha. He's the last one to do it. I'm all in on Jerry Kendall. Plus, he's the nicest guy in the history of the game. But you can make a case for Jim Morris, University of Miami, for his career. First, Georgia Tech built a great Georgia Tech team, and then two national titles at Miami. If Jim were to get Miami back to Omaha one more time, they've gone the last two years. If he were able to win one in the next two years, I don't see that happening. But like if they'd won one in the last two years, that would have been a third title. I think his case is a very good case. Pat Casey's another active coach with two national titles. So is Mark Marquis, but he's not going to be active after this year. But you had a question, I guess, about Pat Casey. Yeah, I mean, the question comes from, about Pat Casey, just where does he rank? And, and I think, you know, all those guys that you mentioned are probably ahead of Pat Casey at this yes. point. Um, some of it is longevity. Um, you know, Pat Casey has been there a, a long time, but you, right. know, you look around at the rest of these guys and they're like 30, 40-year coaching veterans. Yes, um, he's not quite as long of uh, as long in the tooth as those guys. And I don't think he will be. Right. Um, but this year could really go a long way in shaping that If legacy. they go, if they get back, first of all, it's big to get back for him. They haven't been in a few years. Yeah. And 2014? No, 2013 is their yeah, last college season. Yeah. And uh, if they were to win it, that's three. And there have not been many coaches of recent vintage that have three. Ray Tanner only has two. Right. Ray Tanner, we left out of that discussion. And then Andy Lopez has two championships. Yeah. And Andy Lopez and Ray Tanner, two very different. I mean, like Ray Tanner had a lot of success at NC State. Couldn't quite get them to Omaha. 
then goes to South Carolina and has a lot of the same things that Ron Frazier did in terms of making college baseball like an event and make, drawing fans. Like the things that Ron Frazier did at Miami, Ray Tanner did the same things in Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, Andy Lopez he doesn't have the fan argument, but he won at Pepperdine and at Arizona 20 years apart, and he took Florida to College World Series a couple times. Andy Lopez are the three, the team, the guy who took three schools to Omaha. You've got, like, uh, I think it's Larry Cashel is one. I think he took Oral Roberts and uh, Oklahoma and Fullerton. I'm pretty sure about that. And then Ron Polk did Georgia, Southern, Georgia, and Mississippi State. Andy took three, but Andy won at two of them. The other two guys didn't win. Um, Andy Lopez is a dark horse uh, candidacy for that. Uh, and then I think Pat Casey, if this year's team won a national championship, or we won one I mean, He'd be the first years, since Skip to win three, right? I believe that's the case. And the degree of difficulty at Oregon State is higher than these other joints. And he's done a lot to build the Oregon State program. And he basically forced Oregon to bring baseball back. Yes, by and, and, he's, there. and frankly, winning right now, it's harder than it was in the 70s and 80s. There's just no question. That's another reason why I try to slant things toward today. Like the 80s, probably like it's great talent. that USC ran through all of those titles, but they wouldn't be able to do that right now. They aren't able to do that right, right. now. Right. I mean, I think, it, I, mean, I, mean, I don't, the reason you never see a team win five titles in a row is because it's too stinking hard, you know, um, to do like what USC did back then. Now, to dominate from 1958 to 1978, 20 years like Dato did, that's something different. That, yes. that's, that's where I respect that as much as I do the five titles in a row. Um, and that's why I respect Andy, 92 and 2012, and, and then what he, the success he also had at Florida. I think his case, he showed he could win West Coast, he could win Pac-12, he could win the SEC. I mean, there, There's almost no one that's done that. There is no one. He has the most unique resume. Pat Casey's is unique in that it's Oregon State. And this was a team that was just not a factor beforehand. And he's only had a, he's had a couple losing seasons early in his tenure there. Oregon State, they can't be borderline. They can't have a 35-36 win year. They'll get left out. That happened. It just happened last year, and it's happened before. My first year here when Andrew Chekets was his number two starter, now the head coach at UC Santa Barbara, it happened to them because they were Pac-12 North runners-up to a very good Washington team. They went 35-14. and 14. So from a weather standpoint, they can't always play 56 games. He's built that into a culture that is college baseball matters. I mean, he's in the discussion, but to really break his way into it, he doesn't have 1,000 wins. Like, even Elliott Avid's close to 1,000 wins. I think he's eight away, nine yeah, away. Yeah, I think it's seven or eight away. You don't think of him as an all-timer. He's a really good coach. He's had 14 regional trips at NC State. The separator between him and Pat Casey is Pat Casey has two national championships. The degree of difficulty is kind of equal to me at both those schools, Oregon State from a geography standpoint. But he, to me, he's a third championship to break him out of this pack with a Marquis, Morris, Andy Lopez. And out of those three guys, Andy Lopez, Jim Morris, those are both, you know, I give a little edge to Andy. To be honest with you, I think degree of difficulty, and I love Jim. University of Miami's done a great job. University, I can't resist doing my impersonation. I love talking to Jim. He's one of my favorite guys in college baseball coaching. But Andy's resume, I think, is just undersold. Uh, I think he and Ray Tanner's the other two win guy. And hey, by the way, Ray Tanner, as an athletic director, about to have 
He hired Frank Martin, I'm pretty sure, as his basketball coach. South Carolina in the Final Four. And Don Staley is his women's basketball coach. And they could go to the Final Four. So that'd be another little feather in Ray's cap of being great college baseball coach and then a great athletic director. That would be something different on the resume from these other guys. So Yeah, only Skip really has that. Yeah, so for me, uh, going historically, I would rank Coach Casey a notch below Ray Tanner and uh, Andy Lopez, but very similar to uh, Mark Marquis. Not the longevity of Mark Marquis, but... Uh, very similar cases. He so. might get there yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. If he wants to. Also, happy birthday to Mark Marquez on Friday. He turns seventy. So he's got. Uh, so uh, Wayne Graham still got ten years on him. So Wayne Graham has ten years. on Here's him. to Rice winning some games because they're seven and nineteen, and it's painful. So my my voice is about out. Uh, I'm cheered out, and I'm podcasted out, Teddy. So I'll let you take us out. All right. Well, thank you to John. Uh, I've been Teddy Cahill. Uh, all of our content over at BaseballAmerica.com. There's the new top 25 there, powered by Louisville Slugger, power numbers. Thank you to Louisville Slugger for sponsoring this podcast and all college baseball content over at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, we'll come back to you, I guess, on Thursday with uh, Facebook Live, and we'll be back here next week with a whole new top 25, a whole new podcast, and maybe a whole new discussion about old coaches. Who knows? <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.